Welcome to the Neville on Fire podcast. Neville Goddard was a 20th century spiritual teacher who offered a profound message. Your creative imagination is the very source of reality. As we learn to use it properly, life becomes intelligible and rewarding. Join your host, Ed, to explore our most valuable asset, the human imagination. This is episode 26, The Poet's Protégé. In the last episode, in an attempt to look at how an intelligent, sensitive, and successful person, someone especially with uh, an incredible psychological resilience, would answer the riddle of the proper conduct of life, the proper approach to life. We examined the poet Ezra Pound and his life story and his message. So following the example that the poet set in his life journey, the answer was that you have to have a persistent and overriding sense of your own identity. In response to all the harmful effects of institutions that we encounter in life, and in response to all forms of adversity. Today I want to look at his biographer, Eustace Mullins, and try to answer the same question from his point of view, using principally a book that he wrote called Conversations with John F. Kennedy. This book is not a record of a set of conversations that he had with the president in a literal sense. Rather, it's an account of a mystical experience where he encountered the presence of Kennedy and held a series of dialogues with him. The author himself makes clear that he has grave doubts about what really happened, and yet he presents the record because that's what he was admonished to do. And so, because it all comes from one mind that is ostensibly sincere and, again, well-read, well-prepared, well-researched, I regard the whole thing as legitimate and worthy of consideration. So let's take a look at what Mullins reports in this mystical experience. We'll do that following two basic themes. One is metaphysics, what the picture of the world looks like, and the second one is personal instructions. So let's start out with this first theme of metaphysics, what the world looks like, and the nature of the human condition. Early on in the book, I'll start with this, quote, Those who are alive are largely insensible to the values of life. No doubt that you are familiar with the tests which prove that the average person uses only about 10% of his brain power. This refers to the energizing aspects of thought rather than to the phenomenon of consciousness itself. Well, right there, I found an extraordinary distinction that you just don't come across in the conventional literature in psychology. As we've discussed before, Consciousness, the awareness of being, is not the same thing as your habitual daily waking state or thinking. And then he continues, You may remember that the function of the prophets has always been to awaken the people, either to danger or to the values of life. In every case, they began with the premise that the people were asleep. Well, in discussing the position of man in the universe, the personage of JFK continues, man must also accept the fact that life on Earth is not a particularly desirable stage of existence. The brutal truth is that life on Earth is a sort of purgatory, a stage of suspension or punishment in the universal sweep of life. But then he qualifies it by saying, it is not a permanent truth or an established truth, 
and he explains a bit later the nuanced character of life on Earth, saying for some it's an opportunity of redemption, or it's a chance to improve, or a chance to save themselves for my blind and silent eternity. Consequently, lives on Earth are lived for varying reasons and with varying intensity. The value of Earth in the scheme of things is that it can be so many things to so many different modes of being. Well, so far we can see that there's striking parallels between what Mullins is saying and what we've already heard from, let's say, Alan Watts, uh, from Neville himself, from the fourth way, that, uh, first of all, mankind is asleep. There's a psychological sleep that has descended upon mankind. And secondly, that life itself is a kind of uh, training ground, a purgatory, an exercise, some sort of a struggle with uh, evidently an aim in view. Later on they start to talk about groups and refer to them as pluralistic, in other words collectivist institutions. And it leads to this following exchange, quote, does that mean that groups are evil? The answer is, groups of men are not necessarily evil, said JFK but they multiply man's capacity for evil by a fantastic ratio. And then, later on, explaining the nature of these groups, he says, The group complacently accepts itself as the ultimate good, ignoring the fact that the group is a violation of mathematical law. The group is less than the sum of its parts, said JFK. That is to say, the group is a lesser value than any one of the individual values which compose it. And Mullins sums up himself the nature of these collectivist or pluralist groups, saying, quote, Then you are really attacking the philosophy of pluralism, I said. This is the ruling doctrine of modern man, in which everything is left to the decisions of groups and committees and nothing can be done without the active approval of corporations, foundations, universities, government departments, religious factions, and even alliances of gangsters. All right, well, still on the subject of metaphysics, he continues later on, life is a series of obligations which chain down the individuals. The groups introduced this concept of inner slavery in the individual by pretending to aid him or free him, and they promote immorality, discord, and all forms of criminal behavior. The purpose of this campaign, on the part of these groups, is to prove to everyone that the individual is immoral and irresponsible, and only the group can act to save the morality of mankind. So we're starting to see that in their descriptions of uh, institutions or collectivist groups, pluralist groups, it's not a question of black and white, good against evil. It's a little more nuanced than that. It has to do with this strange paradox that characterizes human life, resulting from the nature of creation itself. So Mullins asks, for example, talking about nuclear war, this atomic debacle is inevitable anyway, isn't it? The answer is, Everything is inevitable, said JFK, but that doesn't mean it has to happen, or should be allowed to happen now. So there we're getting a hint at this idea that everything exists in creation, but not everything is necessarily manifest. So getting back to the paradoxical nature of creation, we find pretty soon 
an explanation that is very close to the one that is given in the fourth way. Let me read to you. One of the greatest errors of mankind is that they tend to accept goals as fait accompli. They seem incapable of realizing just what the pluralist groups are doing. But if these results are examined closely and impartially, it can be seen that everything they do has an evil consequence. For instance, nearly all of these groups promote universal education, which on the surface is a praiseworthy aim. And yet, what do we find when we examine the results of this work? We see that the pluralists are merely conditioning the people to receive information, and that this information is, in nearly every instance, propaganda of the most blatant kind. Well, he goes on like that, and it's worth reading, but it calls to mind uh, so vividly the words of Gurdjieff when he says, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, it seems so obvious that I wouldn't have to explain it, but everyone, every person is acting on the basis of what he conceives to be the good. So continuing on this idea of this gigantic paradox, Mullins says, that certainly creates a confusing situation. He says, I begin to think that everything on earth is paradoxical. And JFK responds, from the universal point of view, everything on earth can be seen to operate in two ways, both forwards and backwards, for itself and against itself. This is a necessary process for those elements which have no external opposition to allow them to stand upright must manufacture their own internal opposition. Thus, good seems to be bad, bad seems to be good. Towards the end of the book, he's continuing in the same theme, saying, By the very nature of the human organism, as soon as conditions become just right for it, the most satisfactory amount of food, water, air, and so forth, it begins to decay. As a result, man can survive only when he is opposed by the unremitting hostility of others of his kind and by various natural enemies. This is the built-in paradox of life on earth. Well, let's turn our attention now to the second theme running through Mullen's book, which is personal instruction. Earlier on, they're talking about television, and the personage of JFK says, it seems to be a form of hypnotism. Of course, man has always prized unreality above all else. Why is that, I asked. He wants to escape from himself, said JFK. And Mullins answers, well, it's no surprise because the conditions of life for most humans are such that one can hardly blame them for seeking unreality in any guise. So it's all about running away. It reminds me of the quote from the Bible that Neville suggests to us where we are consigned or condemned to disobedience. In other words, we're destined, despite ourselves, to go down the wrong road. But it's exactly that that is the tragic thing that Mullins and his interlocutor put their finger on. So Mullins has JFK say, Nevertheless, the desire to escape himself has only created more and greater problems for man. Well, one of the charms of this book, actually, is Mullins' style. He doesn't take himself too seriously, despite his claims for having had this encounter with JFK. And he says at one point, um, even after having gotten this mission, he says, uh, one Sunday I was dawdling about, comfortably contemplating and carrying out several small tasks, which I really had no intention of doing. I stretched out on the couch, and once again I entered into the radiance. 
JFK seemed rather annoyed. You're not very anxious to help me out, are you? And pretty soon JFK turns the conversation to a rather cutting criticism of Mullen's own thinking. He says, You sort of reached a dead end. That is, things look rather hopeless, don't they? They are no more hopeless for me than they are for millions of others, I said. That's not quite true, said JFK, because you had always hoped to do a great deal more than those millions of others. And there isn't much chance that you will, as things look at the present time. So little, in fact, that you have contemplated ending it all. So there, the author, despite his casual and nonchalant attitude, has exposed the fact that he's been so despondent at times that he's actually contemplated suicide. But then he equivocates. He says, I've thought about it, yes. There didn't seem to be any reason why I shouldn't. But at the same time, I couldn't see any reason why I should. And JFK rejoins, but there was every reason why you should. If you were determined to maintain your previous standards... Well, that's about the size of it, I said. It's an adjustment most people have to make at some point in their lives. And then, here's the clincher. JFK says, isn't that a kind of suicide? You didn't kill yourself, but you did begin to kill off your goals. Well, he follows that up with what I think is the essential personal instruction. He says, you may also understand that the idea of the individual is the contribution of the Earth to the universe. Such a concept was unknown until it was developed there. So there we see, in a metaphysical discussion, the grounding for the whole idea of individuality. And it really reflects what Neville is talking about all the time. Here's a restatement by Mullins. Then we must affirm the existence of God by affirming our own individual existence. And JFK himself restates it by saying... I am saying that man must reaffirm his individuality if he is to survive. He cannot affirm his individuality as a member of a group. And again, in a question very reminiscent of Neville, Mullins asks, And you hope to restore the individual by explaining to him what he is and where he comes from? Well, later on, in another display of sort of a lackadaisical and reluctant attitude, Mullins says... I still had done nothing about transcribing his words. There seemed a possibility that the time was not yet ripe, an excuse for postponement which I found most agreeable. And nevertheless, uh, the character of JFK persists. He explains that in this strange way, even though these pluralist collectivist groups seem to hold sway in society, in fact, they don't have that much power as they, they seem to have. And he says, quote, This opens the way for individuals to move in and regain some of the power by offering solutions to these problems. And he follows that up with an important clue in personal instruction. Everything in the universe, said JFK, waxes and wanes. It waxes when it is true to its own precepts, its original premises. And it wanes when it is attracted away from them by other forces. And quite near the end, he sums up the mission, saying, Man must be reminded of his own nature if he is to survive. He must become aware of his quest for self-realization. So in this review of Mullen's book, Conversations with John F. Kennedy, I took two lines of thought, two themes. One was the general nature of life, metaphysics, and the second one was personal instruction. And I think that we can see how closely it parallels Neville's own worldview 
as well as the advice that we had gotten from uh, the Buddhist perspective, Alan Watts, and the tradition of the Fourth Way, both in the case of Ezra Pound and Mullins, the poet's protege, who was both an author and a serious and aspiring painter, we see the example of two men primarily involved with art and literature making major research efforts, excursions into the world of politics and finance. For what reason? To get at truth and to expose it. And in each case, this broad preparation and wide experience in life led to conclusions that reflect very closely the principles of Neville Goddard. All questions seem ultimately to resolve to the idea of our divine nature and our mission to realize that. In a world that is both lovely and horrible, we have to bring our own willpower individually to bear on a seemingly absurd situation. So the purpose of today's talk was to point out that we can get help and inspiration in this, both from the poet and the poet's protege. I'll put a link in the show notes to the publication that I referred to, and I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you for listening. Remember to check the show notes and subscribe to the Neville on Fire podcast. 